Just gonna run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hello, and welcome to Spartan Speak, a podcast from the Lansing State Journal and Detroit Free Press focused on Michigan State sports. I'm Phil Friend, your host and sports writer for LSJ. Joining me today are two men who managed to avoid the drunken fight on the Mercedes-Benz Arena Concourse, Detroit Free Press beat writer Chris Solari and Lansing State Journal sports columnist Graham Couch. Guys, did you, any of you guys see that video of the fight? When I, when I looked at it two days ago, I had over 7 million, page, or 7 million video views. That wasn't even the best fight in, in the stadium that night. Best fight in the stadium was on Pitt's sideline. Oh, I thought you were going to say there was a on the, if you watch if you ever went back and watched the TV uh, replay. I the, saw the one yeah. in the stands. The stands no, there yeah. was a fight on the Pitt sidelines between Cam Bright and one of his teammates. That there were punches thrown and landed, and players had to step in. And uh, that was after Michigan State's second touchdown in the fourth quarter. So there was a little bit of an unraveling there. Some would say. But yeah, I saw the one in the concourse as well. The dude, dude shooting hoops as he yeah. kept hopping back fake, in. The like, fake, the fake crossover, fake jump shot. You love, you love to see it. Yeah, that, <laughs> yeah, that was that was not a good look no. in a lot of ways. A lot of ways. Let alone how poorly that dude was as a a guy who tried to be a multiple time combatant, and I don't believe landed any punches. The only punches he got, he landed were the ones to his face. Yeah, he looked ripped too, and didn't really show show any of that uh uh ability i guess i don't know billy's not the right word yeah. but didn't sh- didn't show off the ripness in, in in that video anyway well and then and then i tackled charbonneau for his ice cream in the press box and that was <laughs> that was not seen on camera but was just as violent little known fact is charbonneau had actually finished dinner and graham just arrived he just ran out of the elevator and just got into a you know dead sprint and just knock him over as soon as he saw the sprinkles i mean he didn't even see the ice cream he just saw sprinkles I would pay an upwards of like five dollars to see the video of you tackling Charbonneau just for the ice cream. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Uh, well, we've kind of already started talking about the uh, the Peach Bowl here, so let's continue that discussion here. And with uh, Michigan- irony, there were no peaches for the ice cream bowls. It feels like that should have been there. It should have been an option, or at least some sort of like peach flavored like topping, like a like hot fudge sundae. But yep. no, for peach. no peach for ice cream. Uh, that's just a fail on whoever's whoever's catering the that game right that goes a long way to dispel the notion that that sports writers get fed in the press box <laughs> well i mean i don't think there's no dispelling that we definitely get fed it just varies on the, the quality well, and quantity from from place to place Bowl <laughs> games are a lot different than than most places let's put it that way especially when your bowl game sponsor is a restaurant it was was there a lot of chick-fil-a oh yeah oh yeah a lot of chick-fil-a all week oh heaven right heaven or not heaven, depending on. Uh... It was good. It, it was a chicken sandwich. Okay, I was gonna say the Chick Fil A in Okemos is just uh, constantly, constantly busy whenever I drive by there. So usually like uh, 30, 35 cars back. So yeah, I got. I mean, it's a chicken over. sandwich. 
I don't know what more to say. It's a Ooh. chicken sandwich. I think that, I think that's a mild take from 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 Chris there. Just a chicken sandwich, Chris Solari. <laughs> yeah. oh, I love it. It's, it's it's not changing any lives. It's a chicken sandwich. Yeah. All right. Well, let's talk about the game now. Uh, Michigan State trailed in this game twenty-one to ten early in the uh, third quarter, but then rallied with a couple touchdowns in the fourth quarter to win this game thirty-one twenty-one. And as Chris mentioned, causing a couple people to couple pit teammates to fight with each other uh, after the second touchdown but, uh, but Graham what did you think of the Spartans ability to come back there once again which is that they've done quite a bit this year and pull out the peach ball win and, and finish the 11 win season here in Mel Tucker's second season I, I think the the thing that Mel Tucker said at the end that was sort of I, I think summed up this team and we saw in the fourth quarter was is competitive greatness like if there is one quality this team had that was greatness other than Kenneth Walker it was competitive greatness. And you, you saw a um, – because they, they, that second and third quarter offensively were really, really ugly. And a lot of that had to do with zero running game and, and Peyton Thorne really struggling. Um, but they, they they seem to, you know, to their credit, and we'll see if this carries over year after year, but this team had a, the characteristic of never – you know, they, they did believe all the time. They never let struggles get to them. And that's an incredible thing to be able to do. I mean, that's very hard to do. A lot of teams, things unravel and things just unravel. And um, so th- you, you just saw that. And then you saw their talent as well that they have at certain places. You know, you saw it with Jaden Reed and, and, and you saw Peyton Thorne show his. And you saw it with Connor Hayward, who's an underrated talent of the season, who's going to play in the NFL. And uh, you just you, you saw young flashes of young guys, the Keon Coleman's, the Malik, Malik uh, Cars. Uh, so I, I think you know, I would just say sort of their final act of competitive greatness. Yeah, and a lot of times when you see that, um, you know, I, I think you hearken back to, to what maybe like the, oh eight oh nine teams, uh, you know, with with Kirk Cousins, you know, once you started to see things building with him as a quarterback, there was a rallying around that that happened, and I think a lot of that starts at the quarterback position with this team with Peyton Thorne because. I mean, you know, he was he was very quick to discuss how many people were not getting down on him. And I think you build a body of work over the course of a season that allows that. And, you know, Thorne had been good all year with Kenneth Walker there. I think there was a little bit of an adjustment to to trying to play without a run game. I mean you gotta be able to to run the ball with the way they were doing things. I mean I, I looked at Jay Johnson's game as maybe being pedestrian at best. I mean, you can't run a flea flicker when you're getting a 1.6 yards per carry on, with your other three running backs with no walker. When there's no run threat, you can't keep running a flea flicker. And it, those kind of play calls disrupted what what uh, Thorne eventually had to do. Once they got into that, that second half, uh, particularly late in that third quarter and that that uh, that the Hayward touchdown drive, in particular, they started calling plays that were just quick, build a rhythm for for Thorne, and then started to get things a little farther downfield. And I think once he did that and found that rhythm and found that tempo, everybody else rallied around him. I mean, the defensive side, it it didn't hurt. Let's put it this way: that they were facing a third string quarterback with minimal to no experience. I mean, when Nick Patty got knocked out of the game, uh, you know, scoring a touchdown, 
that changed a lot of things, I think, um, and, and, you know, helped the defense maybe look a little better than it was. And, you know, obviously Cal Halliday's interception there at the end, uh, I mean, if, 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 if that kid had been studying Indiana film, he would have saw him fake that blitz and drop into coverage and, you know, credit Halliday. Cause I mean, he, he jumped that route just like he did at Indiana that was going for Jordan Addison. And at that point you knew who the ball was going to, but bringing that back around, um, it, it came down to having that confidence to rally around and behind Thorne because the offense had struggled at that point to, to moving the ball in, in really putting the ball where his receivers needed to. I mean, the two 50-50 balls that, you know, a good quarterback, like you think about Connor Cook in particular, how many 50-50 balls he had that were thrown right in the spot where his guy can get them. And he did that with Hayward. He did that with Reed. Um, you know, really, I think that's a springboard in the next year for what this team's going to be. And it's, I think this team's going to be Peyton Thorne's team. It is going to be Thorne's team. It could be Thorne's team for a couple of years. Um, but what, what's, what's sort of interesting, too, is you brought the uh, – the, you can only play who's in front of you, you know, and, and it, it absolutely. If Kenny Pickett had played in this game, who knows? This might have been a very different game. It likely would – it's certainly what Michigan State would have been facing offensively would have yeah, been very or, different. Or Kenneth Walker and right. the three offensive linemen Michigan State was missing. I mean, people forget that, how much Matt Carrick meant to this team – uh, before yeah. he got hurt, and then you, you're missing Carrick, you missed uh, Horst, who dressed but didn't play, and you missed Jarvis, who we learned op- basically opted out to declare for the draft. Right. No. No. There's definitely, uh, and, and so there's reasons. You, you know, the, the the game looked like it did, and um, you know, Michigan State played the situation really well. I think you know one of the things that was the most promising thing, and, and as we record this, we don't know what's going on with Jaden Reed yet in terms of his. Decision. I suspect he goes to the draft, but we don't know that. Um, I mean, if you uh, if you read the tea leaves from what day was it? Sunday. I've lost all track of time and space. Yeah. But when we were in Evanston and they put out in the middle of the game a cryptic tweet that the legacy continues of Jaden Reed and retweeted a video from March and then quickly deleted it. I don't know. I'm not so sure he. I'm not so sure he doesn't come back and play one more year with Peyton Thorne. Honestly. My interpretation of that tweet was they were talking about him going to the number one and continuing carrying on the tradition of number one. Then but, you're absolutely tone deaf if you think that I mean, you are. It, I don't think so. Everybody, I, have the, to go back the, I think I don't know. The, I, the question going into the game was whether Jaden Reed was going to opt out. Why? Why would you th- put the word "legend continues, legacy I, continues" I, anywhere near his name? In, in that point, I think tone deaf is a little strong there, Chris. <laughs> Completely misconstrued. No, I don't. I just, dis- I disagree. <laughs> anyway, understand I'm sorry. the circumstances. Sorry. Go ahead, Graham. No, it'll be, it'll be interesting to see what he does because you know, and again, people should always do what they want to do. I, I, you know, the thing you don't want to do is live with regret, right? You don't want to say, "Gosh, I really enjoyed that. I really want to do that one more year. I don't know if I want. I'm ready right now. I'm not. I think I can get higher in the draft." Or you don't want to be playing at MSU next year and, and think. You know, I, I could be playing on Sundays and I was ready, you know, so you got to You got, you got to do whatever you want to do and you should take the time to, to figure that out. And like with, with Jalen Naylor, I, I think, and Chris, you and I were talking about this walking into the Northwestern game the other day. I, I really thought with him, part of it was the injuries he's had and he is healthy now. It's not a leg injury. It's a, it was a hand, th- you know, like take advantage of good health now. And you've got speed. You've got, you've turned yourself into a fairly complete receiver over the last, you know, year plus. 
And, and I, I think he's a guy who will stick in the NFL because I think he'll test well. I think he'll he'll interview well. I think you know I think he's a, he's a guy who will 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 do fine. If you're Jaden Reed, a uh, little different player, but you've really at the college game become a star. The question is, what else can you do at the college game that elevates you in the draft? Like there was a moment with Xavier Tillman his junior year, right before COVID shut everything down, where. You know, the question was, does he come back? But he had those four games, if you remember. And I, it was unbelievable against different types of big men. And I remember thinking, Illinois this game is his in particular. Moment. What's that? The Illinois game? Yeah. Yeah. And this is his moment in college. Like, he can't be better than this in college. Like, he might become a better player somewhere, but the next level is where he's going to have to do that. This is his moment. And and obviously, COVID was too bad. Who knows what they would have done that, that postseason. So, with, with, with Reed, it's sort of the same thing. Is there more to this to me felt like his moment in college and he was fantastic. Um, is there another level? Because there, are, there have been better receivers than him at Michigan state. There have been the Charles Rogers of the world and things like that, but, but he's not that athlete. And so he's a very good athlete. Is there a level athletically um, and, and an ability to him that can spring him into being a guy coming into the year with an, all sorts of national name. And maybe he, he winds up being a, a first two round pick. I don't know that that's in him. And, and I think he's got to make that decision. Well, and I'm the other way. I I got to go back and start with our conversation about Naylor because I, I think, to me, there's a two way street with that. Yes, he he was able to have a, a successful season that didn't have a significant, uh, you know, it wasn't a, a a knee injury. It wasn't something where you look at and say, oh, well, this this absolutely destroyed his draft stock. But we're also talking about a guy who over the course of four years has had injury after injury after injury. You know, there's a durability question. I think that's going to come in with NFL scouts. I I think regardless, and I do think he's got all the measurables you want. Um, You know, the speed, he's got the hands, but the question will be, does an NFL team take a chance on a guy who's had repeated injury after repeated injury. I mean, the only season he played every game was the COVID-shortened seven-game season. And, and that's, you know, listen, if, if you think that that scouts don't look at those kind of things, they looked all the way back into Naquan Jones' high school medicals. And that's, from what I was told uh, from, from someone in the NFL circles, that ultimately is why he went undrafted. Um, and you can see now that Naquan Jones is starting in his, as a rookie for the Titans. So the talent was always there. Question is, are teams going to risk a draft pick and draft capital when there is a significant injury history, whether it be multiple things or singular things that are major? I don't know. Uh, but there's no question that Reed has the speed, hands, and, and route running ability that they're looking for. Um, and, and you're probably right. This is probably the time to go. Um, but particularly the other side of it is what you, you can't risk the next injury in college. But again, that's, you know, that's going to be a fascinating thing for me to watch. Um, you know, kind of looking at Kevin Jarvis, uh, declaring for the draft, um, before I, I, well, I guess with, with Reed, um, you know, I'm kind of in the same boat with you and there's a lot of things that you say and, you know, how much different is he? I mean, he put on a lot of weight and strength. I think that's the one thing that you look at. He looks like a different dude than than a year, year and a half ago. Um, so that that's something I think that benefits him. He he was durable. He was in every game. He played multiple positions, multiple roles. 
Um, I think there's a lot of things to like there as a football player, but there's not that like unlike Naylor, he doesn't have that blazing speed, that track star speed. Um, when you're six foot and you're probably going to be more than likely pegged as a slot guy, um, you know, you kind of need that, but he does have the shiftiness and elusiveness. So I wouldn't be shocked if he goes. And I also wouldn't be shocked if he stays, let's put it that way. Um, but Jarvis, I think, I mean, when we got to the bowl game, we saw that Jarvis wasn't there and dressed. I had a feeling that that's exactly what was happening, that he was opting out. I mean, it's another guy that's dealt with injuries um, over the course of his career. He managed to play every game this year. Um, you know, the durability, he showed durability this year. Um, so you don't want to risk that in a bowl game situation. I think if you've had, I think two of his three pre three previous years were, were shortened by injuries as well. So, I mean, teams are still going to look into that. And I mean, you know, whether or not that's, going to be make you a draftable late round guy or whether it's going to push you to an undrafted free agent. I mean, it's, you know, that's the, the ultimate question I think with some of these guys. And I think, I think what you, you have to remember is sometimes you think, well, this guy needs another year. He's not going to get drafted, but sometimes another year doesn't make you a different prospect. Right. So sometimes it's just more wear on the tread and sometimes, you know, and you can always, some of these guys have finished degrees um, and sometimes you can come yep. back. You can always come back and finish your degree. You have a moment. I, I believe Jarvis and Naylor both did. Yeah, yeah, you have a moment athletically where this is it, and and so I, I totally agree with that. And, and and guys like Jarvis were around to see um, Kenny Willickis get injured and have to do another year, right? And so that that is a uh, you know that, that that was plain to his day in front of him. Willickis was planning to leave for the NFL, breaks his leg, has to come back. Now it's worked out for Willickis, and it, it's you know, but but that's something you know that's something people notice, and and then obviously you see what happened in the Ole Miss game, which is probably the the shame of all shames when, but um, you know, I, I, yeah, I don't think anybody at this point is begrudging people for um, putting their professional lives first at that stage of the season. Unless you're Kirk Herbstreet and Desmond Howard who went in on those, on those athletes who do that uh, on college game day. Other than that, a little, little breaking Western Michigan news because this would, would this podcast be without some Western Michigan news Uh, quarterback, Caleb Ellaby declaring for the draft, which, is a big thing. Why is that a big thing? And why is that been being mentioned on Spartan Speak? MSU opens with Western Michigan on September third. Oh, yeah, that's that's a that's a big loss for for Western, and that that is a, that changes them significantly. And it also Peyton Thorne had gone to Western. He would now finally get to be the starting quarterback. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> Well, going back to the injury thing real quick. I mean, you we mentioned this earlier with uh, with the Patty injury on the on the touchdown. Uh, you could easily say, "Oh, if Kenny, that could have ha- easily happened to Kenny Pickett," and then all of a sudden right. he's in big trouble for the you know going into the NFL draft and whatnot. So, yeah. Hey, how many of those coaches all week said, you know, both Pat Narduzzi and and Mel Tucker and all their assistants said, "Boy, there's there's, very, there's a lot of similarity between what Pickett does and what what Nick Patty does," and you know, you saw that in that moment that Nick Patty got out and ran and I mean, that's, it's a freak injury, but you know, that's ultimately, that's part of the game. And, you know, if you've played 12 games, 13 games up to that point, like, like Kenny Pickett had done one more, you have the show. I mean, it's just a glorified exhibition game when you get to this point, if you're not playing for a national championship and that's, ultimately something with opt-outs i know how many people you know kirk herb street saying about guys not having the love for the game come on listen there were dudes that when you played herbie that didn't love the game either 
They were just trying to get to the NFL and make a payday to help their family. That, some guys let's, are, not, let's not even go there. Some guys are both. Like I, I would tell you right yeah. now, like Michael, Michael or one of the best interviews I ever saw with Michael Irvin was asked about how he, because he was great catching balls over the middle in traffic and getting just getting annihilated. And even with the Cowboys, his fear was, I don't want to get sent back where I came from. Like this, yeah. I'm doing this for you know, I am. This is my livelihood. This is this is what I have to do. And that's what he thought about when he was going over the middle. I don't think anybody would question whether Michael Irvin loved the game as you well. Wanna, you want to go back and, and, and look at these guys in the 50s and 60s that were trying to escape steel towns in Pittsburgh? There's, there's a reason they did it. They didn't have to go and work in the mill, but it was just as hard and just as physically grueling. And, you know, you see that now with all the, the cases of CTE and all the injuries and significant you know, late life issues that football caused for some of those guys. Um, but that that said, what's saying you what at what point does it saying that I I love the game, but I want to preserve myself so I can play at the highest level? How is that not loving the game? I, I don't get that. I don't get where where those guys are coming from. I, I get they're coming from a college locker room saying that, but you know, those dudes in the NFL level, um, you don't, you aren't playing that game as a as as a vocation if you don't still love it. You know you'll walk away from it before you you know guys like Ben Roethlisberger that had multiple injury after multiple injury um, and kept coming back still love the game. You know I don't know I, I I don't get how how we can equate the two things when when you're talking about as Mel Tucker has said you know, that being a business decision. It's absolutely a business decision. That's your your body is your money maker, and if you're not making money on your body, and you have a chance to, you know, I mean, it's not like you were Jordan Addison. It's not like you were Peyton Thorne that that you were an underclassman and you couldn't go into the draft because of these arcane rules that that have been put into place and accepted by by the players' associations. But because other sports guys can go to the pros whenever. I mean, Maurice Claret, we know he fought that. Um, then well, I was fly those off. Peyton Thorne was interesting because Peyton Thorne was draft eligible, though. I mean, although he's just not, you know, he's not, enough, you know, he's got work to do still. And Peyton Thorne's a guy who, if he grows as a quarterback, because he's not a well, he's a good physical talent. I'm not going to say he's, I mean, he's not, he's certainly he doesn't good. have the measurables, right? But with Peyton Thorne's ticket to the NFL, and he does have a ticket to the NFL, let's let's understand this if you watch NFL, if you watch backup quarterbacks in the NFL every Sunday, you know, Peyton Thorne has a path like. There are guys. I mean, I think Phil Friend has a freaking path because uh, it, it, there are there are dudes in the NFL. The, the the guy who backed up Kirk Cousins last week, holy smokes! Like, I mean, yeah, I played in flag football games. You're like, wait a sec. I, there was a guy who threw the ball better than that. But anyway, I, but Peyton Thorne's ticket is between the years and accuracy, and you know, between the years, he's you know, is he's developed a ton and, and he he's got some advantages over people and. He's, you know, he's got some things with with his legs that are going to help him as well. But to me, it's consistency, it's accuracy, and it, it it it's being a difference maker with decisions and what he sees. And those are his 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 tickets to um, Drew Brees. I mean, I, no, I heard no, that. That's comp. exactly it. I he heard is. that comp his freshman year, coming out of the the preseason scrimmages, and I thought that was a little bit ridiculous. But I mean, it honestly. It's ultimately there. I mean, he's undersized. He's not. He's not a six-five gunslinger. 
I mean, he does things cerebrally. Um, and I think that's that makes him a different kind of player. I mean, the whole the whole coach's son, you know, right? I mean, you know, but if 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 Peyton Thorne were to opt out of the game at some point, and because he was draft eligible, and you know, Michigan State wasn't playing for a national title, but he has a chance to be a first round pick, um, does that mean he doesn't love the game? No, because I, that's a kid that has lived the game his entire life, understands that he has. Things like we had talked about during that game, he understood that his footwork was a mess and he had to kind of work mentally to correct it. How many times, guys, do you see that? You don't you don't understand and know that on the field unless you love the game. But what would begrudge him if he's a draft eligible guy to sit out? I mean, does that mean he doesn't love it? No. I mean, there are guys from every era, from every class that that loved football and didn't have the talent and guys who had all the talent in the world and didn't love the game. That's not, that's not germane to this age group. I, I don't think that's, I don't think that's fair at all. Um, you know, and I think, you know, Herb Street kind of tried to double back on that and say, well, coach is saying it's the, the cell phones and all these things. Listen, those guys, either you do or you don't, you wouldn't, you wouldn't be playing the game now with all these other options. In, in not just options, but sports options. You know, those guys can go play basketball. There's guys that can go play soccer if they don't want to play football. You, you don't have to. That's why you see the numbers down at the high school level. You aren't in playing college football if there isn't some semblance of love for the game. And if, it doesn't matter if you opt in or opt out about things. The Detroit Lions starting quarterback the past couple weeks, uh, Tim Boyle, uh, 11 touchdowns, 13 interceptions his last year in college at Eastern Kentucky. Going back to the point where a lot of people could probably play in the NFL. If Sean Mannion is you know playing terrible, like David Blau even started games for, for the Lions. And uh, Mike Glennon, who wasn't really all that great at Virginia Tech, has been in the league for like a decade. <laughs> there's, I mean, there's a push for Brian Lewerke to start over Glennon this week. Yeah, and, and Jake Fromm, too. Think about Although that. Jake I mean, Fromm was a pretty good college quarterback, but anyway. Oh, excuse me. Yeah, Jake Fromm. I mean, it, they, they want him to start over Fromm because I think Glennon's out is what it is. I think Fromm's supposed to be there, but there's a push to have him start for the Giants. All right. Any final thoughts on, on the Peach Bowl before we move on to basketball? Uh, you know, uh, Graham brought up uh, Coleman and Carr, and I think it's a good oh, yeah. transition. Um, you know, those two guys each had two catches in that game. All four of those catches went for first downs. So, you know, you talk about, you know, Naylor leaving and the potential of Reed leaving. Those two guys are going to be focal points, as long with Trey Mosley, who had a great game. Trey Mosley, I had friends who were Pitt fans said that that 17 didn't miss a ball thrown his way. And you saw that all year. So, I mean, when you talk about, you know, losing all these guys in the receiver depth, that receiving room uh, is pretty good. I mean, obviously, Carr is at tight end, but. He's got receiver traits to him and, and played receiver previously. But, you know, you, you see, you know, whether whether Reed comes back or not, you've got Mosley, you've got Keon Coleman, you've got uh, Montori Foster, who really didn't play much of a factor in this game, but had some big plays this year. And you've got Terry Locke, Christian Fitzpatrick. you got a number of guys coming back um, that are pretty talented to help you in those those areas. I think – I think that's one thing to keep in mind. And then with the loss of Jarvis, um, you know, the, the my last part 
the about the the Peach Bowl is really going to be the, the big question going into 2022. Is like, where's that offensive line going to be? You saw Spencer Brown step in at right tackle. Um, you know, they had they couldn't run the ball, and you're losing Matt Allen. You're losing AJR Curry as starters. You're losing Luke Campbell, who was a backup, and you know his time, playing time diminished down the stretch. Um, you lose Jarvis. You know whether Horst comes back or not. We'll see. Um, so there's a bunch of guys that you could be starting fresh on the offensive line with. So as much as Kenneth Walker's departure is big, you got to find some offensive linemen in a hurry. Yeah, I, I agree. I mean, I think you know the receiver thing is an important point because there are years where you lose your top guys and you go, uh oh, um, and where is that going to come from next? And I. I think the Keon Coleman thing is interesting because he's always had all the athletic talent in the world. He's a guy who, when he showed up, just a little more raw, a little had to figure some things out. And so when you start to see him used on the field in the way he was, and he's obviously found, he's obviously at a place now developmentally where his physical tools can take hold and they can make him part of the process. And that, that that's I think you're going to see pretty good things from him right away moving forward. Malik Carr has a chance, I think, to be a real matchup problem and, and, and a go-to for, uh, for Peyton Thorne. And then, you know, you know, you look at, you know, who coming in. And, and Chris, you and I were were, were talking about um, uh, Antonio, Gates. Antonio Gates Jr. Junior. Yeah, and, and sort of, do, do, does he the type of prospects who's a day one guy who comes in and, and has an impact and is a little more seasoned and and just has you know some tremendous ability. Obviously, I think they're going to be absolutely fine at that position. I think they got a veteran quarterback who makes it easier. If you had a rookie quarterback with young players and you you know or a young quarterback, you got you got issues maybe. But um, the real question I think for this team moving forward is what does that offensive line look like next year, and, and where are they at running back? And and those are those are the two things that will determine so much of, of their offense moving forward. Do we do we think Carr and Coleman will play basketball? Though I thought the, I thought Izzo's quotes about that were were pretty ominous and kind of contradicted a little bit from what those guys were saying uh, last year about about that. It's you know whether it's what's playing basketball, I guess, is kind of the big thing. I think a lot of people had way too elevated expectations when they heard that. Um, yeah, they're freakish athletes, and yeah, they're exceptional basketball players. But the transition itself. Um, when you play into January as a football player, um, you know, it takes it, it. It's not the same sport. I mean, what you do in football doesn't necessarily always translate over to basketball. So just to get, you know, practice ready, it, it'll take you two to three weeks to get your get your your legs back, to get your shot back. And at that point, you're you're into February. Um, so these guys were always going to be just in case guys or practice squad guys or maybe get some time late in a blowout kind of guys um where, where i think is the interesting thing and i think this is where the the question remains i mean if this is a normal year i i think you probably would have a, a, an antonio gates senior situation where mel tucker would be like no we we need you in, you're in football you're going to start next year you need to be working through spring practices, but because of the way COVID is, because Izzo's team only has 11 scholarship players right now, um, I think Davis Smith had, actually has the 12th scholarship, but he's a walk-on, basically 12 recruited scholarship, or 11 scholarship recruited players. The the need for those bodies might be there. I mean, they lost Jason Whitens, 
uh, to a knee injury. That that takes them down an extra player who, if you had a COVID outbreak and you know it's you know the middle of February and you're not you 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 lose four guys like you did against High Point, you know five guys or whatever, you might need those guys. So I, I think that this it's not necessarily as cut and dry as maybe it would be in other years. So it, I, I do think those conversations need to happen quickly just simply because of the timing of it all. Um, like I said, I mean, you want to get these guys at the minimum working with the scout team. I mean, that they got a, they got a lot to learn and understand in a hurry if they even want to help a little bit. Yeah, and I, I mean, I know Malik Carr just – his intention as of a few weeks ago was definitely to play um, this year. And and I think part of the reason he transferred from Purdue was to play basketball. So there's, there's that. So, I mean, and, and Keon Coleman, I think wishes he was only a basketball player, but <laughs> those are, those are, you know, and sometimes you have to understand, you know, not to get another Western Michigan reference. So you can drink or whatever you do when you listen to this podcast, but, but you know, I covered Greg Jennings um, with the end of his career there. And he was a guy who scored 51 points in a game for Kalamazoo Central against uh, Benton Harbor and led that team to the state championship game and, you know, had Division One chances. But he was a 5'11 guard. And he said you know, he thought his money was in football. And so he just, just played football. And I think you, some of those guys at some point are going to have to – now, There's it's okay to, to scratch that itch. I think if you, it's going to – again, I, I think one of the worst things you can do in life is live with regret. And so I think if those guys won't need to scratch that itch, they need to figure out because I think part of it would be showing up and realizing how difficult it is to play at that level and, and all the things that go into those guys who've been practicing for weeks. The other thing is Michigan state's program just isn't at the play. Like people get excited about the idea of these guys playing, but that stems, I think from a, parts of a fan base and maybe just not entirely that that has been around during the NIT years. It's been around when Andre yeah. Risen played when, when Matt Trana played for Lorenzo Guest was a big deal, both recruit both ways and played a little bit, but was never, a, you know, the maybe the player he might have been in either sport had he just just picked one and he was a football guy first. The program doesn't need them. Now, it may need them this year as bodies, as Chris alluded to, because of, because of COVID, but the program largely doesn't need them, which is very different than, um, you know, some programs or, or, or and, and, so it's not that they shouldn't play. The other thing is this is a moment, a pivotal moment in football for them in terms of development and spring practice and when spring practice dates will be, I think could be interesting. Uh, if, if spring practice is earlier and you're going to miss all of spring practice by playing basketball, uh, I don't know that that serves either one of these guys all that well right now. Uh, the, the one thing that, that I think counters that is that they were such integral pieces within the planning for the bowl game. So they got an extra month uh, in that. So it's not necessarily like a true freshman coming in or a guy going right off the scout team. These were guys that were involved in the the planning and, and game planning and as, as key pieces, not just, not just the last month, but over, over the course of the last month of the regular season as well. And, and I will also, you could argue this, like, and I know when you get to the division one level, this level, it changes a little bit, but look, a lot of the injuries I think we have in sport are because guys specialize I think your muscles doing something different for a few months um, rather than than the constant grind of football um, isn't the worst thing sometimes for your long term physical health. And so I, I don't I don't think from that standpoint, it could be the worst, the, the worst thing, um, the worst thing ever. Unless you blow out a knee, unless you blow out a knee, then 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 then, then we'll 
we'll delete this part of the podcast. <laughs> yeah, one game where perhaps the Spartans could have used some bodies was the game against High Point back on December 29th, a, a game that was much closer than I think a lot of people expected, but the Spartans did pull away late for an 81-68 win. And then on Sunday, the Spartans played their third Big Ten game of the year, which was against Northwestern, another close game down uh, down seven points, I think, at the half. They then scored 47 second half points en route to a 73-67 win to go third, or excuse me, to go 3-0 in the Big Ten as 10th ranked Michigan State kind of keeps on keeping on. Uh, and we were talking in the pre or before we were recording about uh, Michigan struggles, <laughs> Michigan State struggles at Northwestern once again, but they pull out the win, Chris. Yeah, they were down 13 in that game against Northwestern, and it was looking a lot of a lot like deja vu from a year ago. They were flat. They were, you know, they were, they were pretty lifeless, but they found kind of the, the moxie. And then, you know, I think helped that defensively um, you could see the difference because that was last year, you know, the shots weren't falling, but they were giving up a lot of easy things against Northwestern a year ago. And that's that kind of changed. And you can see how the defense, in the second half in particular, really helped guide them. Um, you know, Northwestern, I think, went one for 10 in the second half from three. And, and they and you know, even though Michigan State's shots weren't falling great, and, you know, they they found some scoring. Gabe Brown started hitting some big buckets. Um, you know, Max Christie hit a couple outside. So, yeah, I, this was, I mean, to, to start 3-0 and is, in the Big Ten is big, but when, you got two of those three wins on the road um, at two places that you struggled at a year ago with it, with the loss at Minnesota and the loss at Northwestern. I think it's a big boost for them confidence wise. And Graham, I know you read about Joe, Joey Alzer, but um, he's really turning a corner as well for this team. Like Hauser, Hauser went from being the guy that I sort of wrote off as a guy that, you know, he'll see time, but he's not essential to what they are. And he's just, I don't know if it's going to happen for him to a guy that for three big 10 games and, and really five straight games has been their best plus minus guy, which is surprising. And, and, and look, we all know those guys you played at any level of basketball, if, you know, it, three on three tournament, you know, uh, you know, intramural, whatever it is, you know, people who just help make you, you better or make the game easier for you. And those guys and the guys you win with, even if and, and, and that Hauser is right now being that I, you know, I, I still think for this team and and I, I think is first of all I think I think good teams win the type of games that they won the other day, uh, games where you do have a bad first half where you get out toughed where things go wrong, where you're playing an inspired team that has some hope and a decent roster, and and I I just think that that was a game they would have lost last year, um, did lose. And, and yeah, and did lose, right? And and so they showed some 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 moxie there. They've got good roster construction. They've got enough guys to get that sort of thing done. I still think the ceiling for this team is watch Max Christie's February. Like to me, th- this group has shown that they can win pretty much against anybody on any night. And in this league, where Purdue already has two losses, and Purdue only plays in Michigan State, Michigan State has a chance to contend. Um, but if they're going to really go beyond what we thought they'd be this year and really have a chance to make a run and be scary in March. The guy who's who's the furthest from his ceiling who has the potential to get there, I think, is Max Christie. And you see moments of it. And if he becomes, as a freshman in that final month of the season, a guy who is consistently having those put-back dunks, consistently 
pulling up and draining threes, consistently attacking and scoring. All of a sudden, the whole the, the whole team elevates to another level, and and then you've got a chance on a given night to beat Baylor. Then you've got a chance to uh, to, to to really win the Big Ten and and maybe uh, be a top couple seed and and be in a position to make a great run. I think he. I think I really think he's the key. I'd put in Jaden Akins too because I think that right now he's kind of hitting a little bit of a freshman wall. I mean, but I think come February, just like you said with Christie, I mean the ceiling is so much higher um, than maybe other guys on this team. Um, you know, I you don't necessarily need what what the same kind of things out of the two players. You know, between Christie and Aiken, um, but if they're able to push through kind of the the inconsistencies and struggles that they have right now to to provide what each does. Because um, I think Aiken, obviously, you need it on the defensive end. You need it. Um, you need some of those highlight reel kind of plays that bring some energy. Um, you know, if you – in fact, I mean, the Christie putback dunk I thought was Aiken's. I mean, it was such an electric play. And we've seen those out of Aiken's. We haven't really seen that kind of play out of Christie. Maybe one dunk, uh, maybe his first or second game. But um, – you know, if you the you mentioned it earlier in the year about about Aiken, and I think it you know we're starting to see it a little bit with Christie too. I mean, their athleticism makes them equalizers against whoever you play. And I think that's the way. That's exactly the phrase you used with Aikens, is that you've got guys that can neutralize other teams' high potent athletes, and you know that's you know those two guys in particular. I think and and Walker to some extent as well as he continues to grow and and get a little more consistent. Um, cause I don't think that he had his best game, uh, in that Northwestern game and they still managed to win. Um, but I think those three guys in particular are what makes that ceiling so much greater for this team. Yeah. I found it interesting that I think this was a bit hyperbolic on Izzo's part when he, but when he called Hauser's performance against high point, the best he's ever seen him play, he must've forgot about the 27 he put up against Wisconsin on Christmas day on Christmas day last year. But, uh, I think that, try not to remind him of it. <laughs> I guess, I guess so. But, uh, I, I see you see Tom con, continually trying to you know boost Joey's ego you know through the media and whatnot and it, it kind of seems to be working here over the past four or five games, Graham. Yeah, I mean, and I think Izzo had thought was, I mean he was trying everything. He was blowing sunshine into him, you know, and and because they knew this is the kid who, who just it, and you know, some kids you can really go after and they'll respond fine. And Hauser is not one of those kids, and so. And and he knows they're they're better with him. And and you know the thing the reason they need him so much too is is not only is you know I mean a capable shooter at the four spot and and, and does a lot of things cerebrally in the game, but Malik Hall is yet to show he can be consistent. And so I, I think you know that they you know if you were getting the best of Malik Hall night in and night out, um, you know the need for Hauser becomes a little less. But I. But it's 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 a team that's that's interesting because of, of how many different matchups it can create for people. When everybody, you know, you don't get what you don't have is everybody playing well consistently on a given night. But it's I, I, this is a very hard team to scout against because you can focus a few places and you should, but then on a given night, Malik Hall doesn't do anything and Joey Hauser does, or vice versa, you know, or or. Um, Hogard becomes a bigger part of things than Walker on a given night, and and I think I think it's a tricky team to 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 just because there's just a lot of moving parts and a lot of uh, frustratingly for him, a lot of inconsistency, but also the potential for a, a lot of different things that, that can hurt you. 
yeah, the comp- it's not like you're you're scouting one and you're getting the same thing from the backup. I mean, the backups are so markedly different between Hall and Hauser and Hogard and Walker, and I, I think that's uh, you know even even when you go Bingham and Marble, I mean, they're just the the different styles that you can do. You know, I know Izzo's talked about Purdue having a pair of everything. What do you call it? Noah's Ark. Um, you know, having two of everything. Well, this isn't really having two of everything. These are having, you know, like different species of birds in some ways. You know, it's like having a uh, a pigeon in Marcus Bingham and a pterodactyl in, in Julius Marble, right? I don't know. That, that's probably way off, but you know what I mean, though. It's like they're they're not like you wouldn't mix up Marcus Bingham's game with with Julius Marble's game. You wouldn't mix up Tyson Walker and AJ Hogard's game. I mean, it's you know they're just so wildly different. I think that does make them a tough scout. You're right. I mean, that's 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 a really big thing. And the other thing, pivoting to the Nebraska game here a little bit, is you know they and and really the Michigan game. Although I, you know, Michigan's got more talent, but they have not played, you know, they played, you know, obviously the high point game, they're missing a number of guys. I'm going to throw that one out. They're missing, you know, we saw what they are without Max Christie and Marcus Bingham, two of their best defenders, who they are. I, and not only who they are without them, who they are without them, without time to practice without them. If, if their whole season was without Max Christie and, and, and Marcus Bingham, then, and you're practicing with that during September, that other group would seem more cohesive, right? But it's when all of a sudden what you've been doing is thrown out the window. So, but other than that game, and I know they 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 have found a way not to lose the game that they should win, and they they didn't lose that game either. But they have found a way to play above the level of their competition when it mattered, and and that's a really good trait that that not every even good team has. Uh, you know, I'm not sure Purdue has it, and they're they could potentially be a great team right now. And so when you look at like the Nebraska game, you you start to have a lot of faith in this team, and I know Nebraska has had some decent moments and it's a roster that's better than people realize just in terms of overall talent. But you, you're starting to trust this team in games like that, that they're going to show up every night and they're going to get it done. And part of it's because guys are still battling for roles a little bit, not the roles are kind of defined, but they're battling competition within the roster a little bit for, for length of time. And, and, and um, the other thing to keep in mind, and, and I know this could be a little different because it, coincides with the new vaccination and testing mandate at Breslin. But this is the Izone alumni game. And um, I have had a, a reader point out the other day how good MSU is against the spread in these games. It's like they're <laughs> double expected spread. In other words, there is always great energy in the building. MSU is never flat when you get this sort of electric atmosphere that's hard to match with these crazed 30 and 40 year olds who get their one chance at the is to be 21 again yeah right and so we'll see what that feels like tomorrow tomorrow's is it, it coincides with what will be an interesting day at breslin but i i do think um that 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 will help uh that will help tomorrow as well well and i think that we i talked with tom is on monday and uh you know one of the things that we discussed is how I mean, how difficult it is to really scout Nebraska. I mean, you saw what they did against Ohio State. Uh, no one would have thought that be possible. Much like, very similar to Michigan State and Northwestern game, in that you can't really take anybody for granted. But but Northwest or but Nebraska is a different kind of deal. You know, Northwestern, you've got the same guys that have been there for quite some time now in Boo Booey and 
Barron and all and Nance and all these guys that have been there. Nebraska's had constant roster turnover all the way back to when Tim Miles was there his last few years. So you don't have a consistency in scouting. We talked about the scouting of Michigan State. It's a different reason it's it's wild to try and scout Nebraska right now because you don't know who some of these guys are. They've had so much roster change over the last few years. No, that that, that that's true. And and you know we we've seen in other years there's a game where it'd be at Nebraska. Um, or Rutgers or somebody like that comes into Breslin and, and when, when Rutgers wasn't great and, and, and has a moment. And so uh, this team to this point has been above that moment. And given the history of the his own uh, alumni game, I don't, I don't think that'll be this. And then it'll get interesting on Saturday because I don't know what Chrysler Center is going to be like. I mean, you know, you think about they, they also have the, the vaccine mandate. Yeah. Um, uh, it's not a far game for MSU fans. Michigan fans have not been showing up. They're not real high on this team. I I do wonder if that's not closer to a 50-50 crowd. Uh, they've got point guard issues, but also they've got a they've got a sizable amount of talent and a big game. And I think Michigan State's talent's not going to overwhelm them. I think it's going to be a, a very competitive game. But but to this, this is point, the, this Michigan is I think where the Minnesota game helps. Yeah, you know you've already played in front of a hostile crowd on the road. The Butler game helps. That I mean that's another game that you've already seen those kind of fans, and you it, you're not completely overwhelmed by it let's use some transitive property here guys uh michigan went to nebraska and beat them by 35 and then promptly lost by 10 to minnesota in the next game so who knows <laughs> who knows what in the world we're getting from the wolverines uh on saturday yeah well they've got some of the issues msu did last year with point guard play and you see how essential that is and uh you know one thing Izzo has done a fairly good job of here is you know and, and i've heard coaches say this before when they've had a, a, a part of their team that they, they clearly didn't have enough of in a season never letting that happen again and Izzo brings in Tyson Walker very good point guard they're going to have for a couple of years AJ Hogarth's development has been really good he's obviously turned himself into a, a good player um, you have Jay Nakins who a lot of us thought would be part of the point guard thing coming in and at some point in his career so might and so you have more ball handling and more capability there and then you have uh, the, the kid out of Minneapolis next year there's a four-star kid coming in. Like he is not going to get caught without a point guard again, and without yeah. a guy who's ready. And and that's very clear. And Michigan this year did, and uh, and that's the danger of the the one-year transfer guy who you then have to replace. And one of the things I think was really uh, smart and 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 going after Tyson Walker is you're looking at a guy. I mean, technically has three years of eligibility, but all all those are different conversations with the COVID uh, extra year and stuff. But he's probably at least a two-year guy for you, and and that's that's really helpful. Trey Holloman, that's who Trey you're Holloman, thinking. Yeah. Uh, do you guys have predictions for the week? Do you do you see a two and zero week for the Spartans coming up here, Chris? I you know I it, I think that's probably the case. Um, you know the Michigan game obviously down there, it makes it a little bit more difficult to to kind of say right away. Yeah, I want to see. I do want to see also how they respond. Uh, coming off a tough game on the road uh, against a team they should beat and should beat handily. Um, can they do that? I think that'll kind of see where they're at going into that Michigan game as well. So um, I'd say one and a half right now. Yeah, I mean, I think they're going to beat Nebraska. I just I think that's going to be an atmosphere, and I think they'll rise. I did, There's nothing. There's no evidence this season to suggest that Michigan State isn't going to win that game. 
um, and and show up and play. I mean, that's the thing this team's done, and that's why they got a chance at a Big Ten title because part of winning a Big Ten title, and, and one of the things I've really always loved about it is it is right. It's the grind of the of the two months. It's the twenty games. It's very Premier League like. There's it's no playoff. That's why I hate the Big Ten tournament. Like this, it, it is decided by are you every game matters. How good are you over two months? And but part of that is, you know, part of that is not losing to Norwich, you know, or not losing to a bad Everton team, so to speak. You know, part of that is not losing to Nebraska. Um, and and so I think they will win this. Um, uh, Michigan. I, I got a feeling that's going to be a really interesting game, a uh, really competitive game. I, I'm going to. I'm, I'm kind of with Chris on one and a half. I'll say they go two and zero, oh, but I, I think I think Saturday is going to be interesting. We're going to need to reconvene for a podcast just to break down your breakdown there. <laughs> I have no idea what any of that meant. <laughs> that was just for Phil and the yeah, EPL. That was just for yeah, so- Phil. Phil for soccer. There we go. Uh, my take- biggest takeaway from all this is that whatever the spread for the Nebraska game is when that comes out on Tuesday night, just go and slap a hundy on it, Graham. That's is that the is that the safe safe thing you're telling me here? Historically, and 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 I could find this, um, but yes, I mean last year they did as well. They covered it by ten. Uh, I think it's it's um, you know I can hold on if you give me uh, two seconds here, uh, I can I can figure this out because it is it, it, it's a really good number by our friend Steve Beckman found this. He's going to be pleased that you called him a good friend, despite the fact that he is a Tottenham Hotspur fan, a a, a soccer team that you loathe with an undying passion. I do loathe. I do loathe. My my dream is the Tottenham Hotspurs get relegated, but. Um, that's uh, you know that's what are you what are you going to do? Chris is shaking his head. Uh, on the other, on the other <laughs> no, but this is this is actually worth it. Okay, here we go. This is a tweet from last year. He he gave and he had quote tweeted this. He said, um, "Add tonight's win over the Izone, uh, um, or t- from two years ago, and over the Izone, the last six Izone alumni games, average margin of victory remains nineteen point eight, and they've now beat the spread by an average of plus nine point six. All right, there's some data there." You know, I'm, so I'm not saying, not saying again. There's the dynamic. We don't know what Breslin is going to look like tomorrow night because I do think as the year goes on, is is this policy gets hold, as people get used to it, um, maybe as Omicron becomes less prevalent in the community, that there will be a good secondary market for maybe an opportunity for some people. If some people don't want to go to games, and the place will be pretty full. I, I don't know what it's going to look like on a Wednesday night against Nebraska. Uh, when this policy is new, when some people don't want to be out places, I I, I don't have a, a feeling for what the vibe is going to be. That's the one variable that we don't know. Well, I love our transition into a gambling podcast at the, at the end of it. So, uh, yeah. <laughs> uh, just for funsies, guys, uh, national title, Bama Georgia rematch. Who you got, Chris? I'm going to say Georgia in this one. I think what I saw against Michigan uh, and Alabama against Cincinnati, to me, I think. Georgia looks like they're back to that dominating force. Um, that it, it, I, I think Georgia wins this. I think they win it handily. And I think there's going to be even more conspiracy that the SEC continues to do the same song and dance over and over again with their championship game. I, I, I am I am with you on Georgia. Um, I, I think that they, they were humbled in that game. They know they can't get behind because they don't have the offense to, to really – play in a shootout with with Alabama and that defense is going to find enough ways to make it it's not as good a matchup for them but I, I do think that they're, they're going to win win the game I don't know if it'll be a blowout but I think I think they'll win a um the lowest scoring national title game we've had in some time 
Yeah, I also think Georgia's going to win, so I I would say just go ahead and bet on Alabama, guys. <laughs> yeah, that pretty much seals it right there. <laughs> yeah. Never never bet against Nick Saban is yeah. kind of the <laughs> right, general. Right. We got us three dolts betting against uh, Nick Saban here is exactly what you need. And, money. Yeah, and we, Unless it's 1995 and you're going to Purdue or something. And, right. none, <laughs> and none of us learned a lesson when Georgia was a seven-point favorite going in the, into the SEC, SEC title game and blame a blew the brakes off of them. So listen, yeah. <laughs> I, it, all that thing, all those are meaningless That's compared right. to the eye test. <laughs> I don't need to see any results or anything. Just That's show right. me the eye test. And I can tell you that Georgia looked like the better team against a different opponent in the semifinals. I agree. All right. Any final thoughts before we sign off here for this week? Uh, it's just it's good to be back doing this. And uh, it was, it was a fun football season to talk about. And, and I'm sure we'll have more football topics as they arise as guys make decisions as another signing day approaches. But, uh, I think I think we're in for a fun fun couple months of hoops and, and talking about it here. Yep, new year, new you, Phil. Oh, thank you. <laughs> thank you. All right, <laughs> thank you for joining us for this edition of Spartan Speak, a production of the Lansing State Journal, Detroit Free Press, and the USA Today Network. If you enjoy this podcast and the work surrounding it, please consider subscribing. You can follow our coverage at lsj.com, freep.com, and on Twitter at Graham underscore Couch, at Chris Solari, at Phil underscore Friend, and LSJ Greenwhite. Thanks for listening. Just going to run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts.